It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for letting me join you, I guess. That's probably more accurate. Uh, remember, subscribe to the podcast. Just click the subscribe button at thepetecalendarshow.com or on whatever device you're listening to this. Uh, I appreciate that. The show is made possible by patrons such as Jonathan, Meredith, Dennis, Terrence and Teresa, Rebecca and Taylor, Yuri, Larry, David, Patty, and Trudy. I appreciate the support. I uh, could not do the program without you. Also, want to thank one of our sponsors of the show, Growers Hemp. These are North Carolina family farmers uh, who were raising hemp as a crop, but they decided, you know what? Why don't we control the whole process so we can give better quality, lower prices, and uh, directly support family farms in the state uh, like our own and help people on their wellness journey all at the same time? So it's like a win win, win win win. And I take. Grower's Hemp, full-spectrum hemp extract. I take a couple of drops before I go to bed each night, and uh, I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. I've always had a problem kind of sleeping all the way through the night, and I'm not alone in that, by the way. Um, uh, There's a focus group that was put together uh, among listeners of the program, and uh, some of the responses, uh, for example, Jeff said, I sincerely believe that it is allowing me to sleep better, especially when I first get into bed. After 20-something years of only sleeping only a couple of hours a night, it's nice to make it through the night. Uh, so go to growershemp.com and check out their products. They've got the drops, and they've got all sorts of flavors. They also have topicals like uh, balms and salves. They have lozenges as well. Uh, and learn more about them. But also, feel free to ask them questions. Growers Hemp uh, is committed to helping you on this wellness journey and help guide you every step along the way because they know a lot of people have questions about CBD. Um, as with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. You can find Growers Hemp, by the way, not just at the website, but also on the shelves at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby, the medical pharmacy in Locust, the Durham Co-op, which I think is in Durham. I'm just going to go out on a limb and uh, take a guess at that. Uh, but of course, at growershemp.com. And if you use the promo code PETE, you will get 20% off. Growershemp.com from North Carolina Farmers to your home. Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. So uh, where are we now? It's uh, January. We only have a couple more months left of this school year. And uh, there are still school districts that are closed. You, there are still teachers union representatives and leaders that are uh, that are still saying we cannot open and are resisting all efforts. I think up in Chicago, I saw that the teachers union, they took a vote. They're just basically going to go on an uh, on an illegal strike. They're refusing to go back into the classroom. Um, this is going to reach a boiling point because all of the data that's coming out is showing that schools being closed is having massive catastrophic impacts on kids 
and um, that the risk of catching COVID and dying from COVID among young kids and even among those under the age of 50 are very low. So uh, especially among children, it's very, very, very low. And this is borne out by data that was compiled down in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg School District. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board voted to keep the schools closed through like mid-February. That decision is having profound negative effects on students. Todd Fuller is a CMS parent and also a highly trained professional analyst with a master's of science and analytics, five analytics certifications, and a degree in applied mathematics. He compared students' grades in the first semester of the current year with the same period of time in the previous four years. You know, as an analyst, as a trained analyst, I just have a natural gravitation towards numbers, if you will. And I'm also a parent of three, I say up to three. Right now we have one student in CMS right now. Normally we would have all three. But as a CMS parent and as somebody who loves numbers, when another parent presented me this file released from CMS said, hey, would you look at it? Would you take a look at the grades reported for ELA and math, I said, sure. It's there's everything I could do not to um, just jump into it right away and skip my normal day job as an analyst. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that's that's why I wanted to get into it. And and I also knew that it was the the major difference between so far this year and so far uh, in any of the four prior years in this file that CMS sent has been the obvious that there's essentially been no school, no in-person school, save for maybe several weeks at a couple of days a week at the elementary level. Therefore, anything that we found in the file that was different from, say, the first semester of this year versus the first semester of the prior years in the data, we could draw conclusions quite easily on how virtual is impacting the students in the county. Mm-hmm. So what was the file that CMS gave you? What what was in that data that they gave you? The file is very straightforward, at least to me as an analyst. It, I mean, somebody would look at this and say, oh, there's a lot of numbers and data here. No, there's not. As an analyst, uh, you know, in my day job, I'll see, you know, 30,000 lines of data. Millions of data points is not uncommon. This was far, far smaller than that. And really all it, all it is, is it's simple. It's it's the counts of letter grades earned, that is grades, you know, A, B, C, D, F, just like you would expect in school, in grades 3 through 12 by quarter for this year. In other words, through as of first semester, because it was cut off December 23rd, and that is when first semester ended, and the grades had to be reported for first semester for Q1, quarter one and quarter two by then, but also includes the four school years in other words the 16 prior quarters of the previous four years for both the subjects ela that's english language arts which is commonly you know just it's english it's literature it's going to be reading but it's it's commonly called ela Mm -hmm. and then it's math so there's two subjects in there and again it's just grade levels three through 12 because people have to keep in mind i was also a, a by the way, as a teacher, I'm a certificated, it's called a standard professional to licensure 
grades nine through 12 math teacher, high school math teacher. And so I understand some of the in, in, intrinsic and the, in the nuances in the data, not just the numbers themselves. By that, I mean, you don't have kindergarten first and second grade or pre-K in this data because those grade levels are not issued in A, B, C, D, or F. Right. You don't start getting that until you enter third grade at the earliest. Um, and in pre-K through grade level two, the student is typically giving a mastery, below mastery, or above mastery mark. And that's not in the file. Right. So again, what's in the file is grade levels three through 12 of two subjects, ELA and math, of students across the entire district in CMS. And as a side note, it may not, it's not, it's not likely to include, uh, some people will call them EC students, mm -hmm. exceptional children. Right. And those, some of those students have what's called an IEP, that's Individualized Education Plan. And sometimes I had these students, when I taught math for five years, uh, they'd have an IEP and it said, hey, basically said in their IEP, hey, you cannot give this student an A, B, C, D, or F. All you can give them is a pass or fail. So those students were likely not to be included as well in this file because they're getting a pass fail, similar to how a K through second grade student would get mastery or above or below mastery, not a letter grade A, B, C, D, or F, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so you decided, let's take a look at this first quarter, that data set, and compare it to the first quarter from the previous four years and uh, in math and in ELA, and mm -hmm. you just put them all together, right? This three through 12, and you. so essentially what I'm hearing is like every single student that got grades in ELA and math, all of the all of those grades are in this file, right? You had you had a, that's the data set. Correct, and it's and for first semester for did, right for quarter one, but also for quarter two because mm -hmm. first semester includes quarter one and quarter two. I just call it Q one, gotcha, or Q two. But the data when the four year request was fulfilled by CMS in the email, it says, "Hey, here are the grades through the." first two quarters, in other words, the first semester of this year. So it is both quarter one and quarter two of this year, or I'll just call it, when I create a chart, I'll just call it first semester okay. of this year. And yes, I'll compare it to first semester, only the first semester of each of the fire, four prior school years. All right. And so the results here, kind of disturbing, but I'm not going to say terribly surprising, right? Um let me go through, and I've got your charts here as well that you've uh, you've produced. Mm -hmm. That uh, you, I guess, in order to get to these charts, you had to assign like the uh, any A's got four points, B's got three points, C's got two points, D's got one point, and then F's were zero. So by doing that, you then can now kind of see what the totality of the grade picture, where those grades fall on on this line, and. What it shows is this massive spike in the F's, right? In, in kids that are not doing as well, or they've come from A down to B or B down to C, right? They've there's been a, a total erosion of performance in math and ELA from grades three all the way to twelve, right? Correct. And by the way, we're doing two things. First of all, and it's very easy, is the first one is very simple in that. We're counting F's. We're not doing, we're not even creating a benchmark or we'll get to that in a second. We were talking about assigning an A four points, a mm -hmm. B three points. That's something slightly different. 
one of the things that we did or that I did with this is just simply count the number of F's in first semester for ELA across the entire county and then compare that with the number of F's for ELA or math in the first semester of the fire four prior school years and looked at what was different. And by the way, I did this for each of the six districts. Now the county or CMS, when they released the file, did not include the district each school was in, but that's an easy, just add a column and say, okay, Elizabeth Lane Elementary School, for example, is in district five. Mm -hmm. So we did two things, count the number of Fs and compare it for each of the two subjects for the first semester this year's and the four prior school years. And yes, it was stark, both in math and ELA. It was just amazing, the huge spike in Fs. Normally in math across the county in the first semester, we would see, according to the CMS's own data, roughly a little more than 11,000 Fs reported either quarter one or quarter two in each of the four prior school years. But in the first semester of this year in math, we had over 30,000 Fs reported in math. And the similar thing occurred with ELA. In ELA, in any of the four prior school years, the first semester only, we would have typically have seen um, somewhere around nine or about a little over 9,000 Fs reported in quarter one or quarter two of the four prior school years. This year, it was over 32,000 Fs. It was just shocking. More with Todd in a minute. First, another thing that's shocking, people still not using Rowena Patton to buy or sell a home. What's up with that? I don't understand that. Why would you use another real estate agent when it means you're going to you know, probably not get as much money for your house? It's going to take longer to sell. Just call Rowena Patton, start packing. That's how easy this is. 828-333-4483. That's 333-4483. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. Um, Christy and I are using Rowena and her all-star powerhouse team to get our house. We're buying a house. Uh, we have friends, listeners of the program as well, who uh, they had their home sold, I think it was in like three or four weeks. Within within a day or two, they had showings. Like we had to go eat like multiple meals with them because they had to get out of their house. There were so many showings. Uh, they had a cash offer within the first day. She has buyers lined up. And she has homes in all price points. Buying or selling, call Rowena Patton, the only agent I would call and have called. 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. And start packing. Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools will maintain remote instructions until mid-February. CMS parent Todd Fuller is a trained professional analyst. He examined data provided by the district and found massive increases in the number of Fs given to students in Math and English Language Arts, or ELA, in grades 3 through 12 during the first semester of this year as compared to the same time periods in the previous four years. And when you look at the bar charts that Fuller created, it looks like this. Five vertical bars, the first four are all pretty similar in height, but the last one is twice as tall as all of the others. This represents all the Fs in the first semester of this school year. Kids are failing at an astounding rate due to the school closings, right? You're absolutely correct. There's no doubt in my mind. You have to, as an analyst, ask yourself what story 
does the data tell? And the story is exactly what you said. There's been no other major event to happen. There has to be a major event to have that huge of a spike in both subjects. And as far as the trending, uh, there is a little bit of minor trending and it, it's hard to say if that really is significant. Some of that trending in the prior four, four school years just could have been from overall growth in the district. Right. Obviously, we would expect more students in 2019, 2020 than in 2016, 27. Although I will say as a side note, the district's growth has been somewhat flat Yeah, because I did pull enrollment numbers. But by and large, if you compare last year versus say five years prior, there's been some growth. So that when you have more students, you're going to get a little bit more A's, but also a little bit more B's and C's and D's and F's. But like you said, when we go to this year, the first semester this year only, it just blew off the charts. And yeah. so you have to ask yourself, what story does that tell? What major factor was behind that story? And that's the only major factor is just the complete essential shutdown of in-person instruction at, at our roughly 150 schools across the county. And there were even more um, more Fs in ELA, which I thought I was actually kind of surprised by that. But I am more of a, an ELA brain kind of guy than the math brain kind of guy. So right. <laughs> I, would, I would have thought that math would have uh, actually seen more Fs. But no, there were uh, 32,521 Fs in uh, ELA as compared to the previous year, was 11,682. And the benchmark, you say that that's 350% above the prior four-year benchmark. 350% above, that's and that, that's catastrophic because all of these Fs represent kids that are failing out of fundamental things that they are going to need in their life. Correct. And, I, and as I like to add... You know, as a math teacher myself who taught math in the classroom, it, it, five of that at a, at a charter high school, I had, to, I had to be a licensed teacher just like if I were to teach in CMS. Math is very building block. Somebody might say, oh, it's just halfway through the year. It doesn't show mastery. Well, I would say, okay, well, what doesn't, what does show mastery if an F does not or an A does not? But also math is very building block. When I taught students, and I'm sure it's similar with ELA, but I'm not going to speak on behalf of teachers that are ELA teachers. But in math in particular, if you have a student, forget COVID, go back to pre-COVID times. If you had a student who had a D or maybe just failed quarter one or quarter two, but not both, you would be concerned because there you, you can't build the foundation you can't get, build the fourth floor of the building without first building a good foundation and a good first floor. Right. So what that means is it's hard to really turn it on and put an S on your chest as a student and as a teacher waiting until April or, or even March of a year to to save the whole year, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's uh, studies have shown that this is the uh, what is it the school to prison pipeline that people talk about is and they can identify that if your kid is not able to read at grade level by the third grade, the chances of them ending up in prison are huge. That's how immensely important this is. Uh, and I mean, I don't want to discount the the long-term negative impact on the older kids in the high school level. But to me, uh, like the kids that are coming up right now in, in, in second, third and fourth grade, those 
those are such mm-hmm. important years and it breaks my heart to think about what is now going to be ahead for them if they now that we see that they're not getting these tools you're absolutely correct and it's it, it's just it tells a very sad story when i see this date and by the way one of the things that i've done and it's not to your listener it, it may sound technical but to to any analyst even somebody who's not a trained analyst but just has kind of acquired some excel or number skills in their job over the years there's a thing called a pivot table created where all that means is i i or anybody else who looks at this file can just pivot and say hey what did these grade levels do what do the middle schoolers across the county do or what did just the elementary school students do or what did just this school i had i had a few parents send me an email or a Facebook message and say, hey, can you look at XYZ elementary school where my kids go? So the pivot table allows the person to, to pivot, or in this case me, to pivot on what they want to know, a grade level or a district or school. But anyway, I, when I've looked at it from both the elementary, middle school, and high school levels, it's all bad. Yeah. Uh, even if you pivot on those. Um, mm. And going back a few minutes ago, when you're talking about the GPA, the second thing that that I did with this file is we did just didn't want to look at only the F's because it is possible. Yeah. You, you, you get a lot of, you get a ton of students, a lot more students getting F's than they normally would have otherwise received. But somebody could say, Oh, well, we had a lot of students do really well and get A's. Okay. Well, let's, let's look at overall performance. And the way that we did that is like you say, we assigned an, an A is four points, B is three points, C is two, so forth and so on. And somebody might say, well, hey, in, in, um, in my high school, if you're in AP class, you get a five if you got an A. That doesn't matter for, for GPA purposes for an individual student. What we're trying to do is get an apples-to-apples comparison and just by being uniform and assigning a set number of points across the county. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, the performance level has dropped dramatically the first semester of this year, when you take into account all of those grades, A through F for both ELA and math, it's dropped dramatically for both subjects compared to the performance we would have seen in the prior four school years in the first semester of those years. We'll wrap up with Todd Fuller in a moment. First, take a moment to go over to mattressmanstores.com or a few moments and go to any of their four local locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide, by the way, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. If you go to their four stores, uh, you can uh, get their sleep consultants to help you find the right bed for you, and they have local five-star delivery service. Christy and I, we got a a king-size mattress about nine years ago now, and uh, we are probably going to be picking up another new mattress at some point in 2021. If you're thinking about doing the same, think about doing it now. The Split King Mattress Blowout going on right now at Mattress Man, free adjustable bases with the purchase of select mattresses. These are uh, two-piece king mattresses, so you can customize your bed. One side soft, one side firm, one side feet up, one side head up, completely customizable for you and your partner. They also have the 14-inch hybrid queen mattress for just $578, your choice of firmness. So head on into Mattress Man, uh, check out their financing options. This is the triple zero deal, zero money down, zero APR for 24 months, and zero payments for 90 days. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, like I did, buy local and sleep better. 
Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools will continue to be all remote with no in-person instruction until at least February 12th, thanks to a vote by the Board of Education about two weeks ago. That decision is having long-term and profound negative effects on students. Todd Fuller is a CMS parent and also a highly trained professional analyst with a Master's of Science in Analytics, five analytics certifications, and a degree in applied mathematics. Using data obtained under a Freedom of Information request, Fuller analyzed grades of students in grades 3 through 12 in math and English language arts. He compared the first semester to each of the same time periods in the previous four school years. He found a 262% increase in the number of F's in math. And in English language arts, or ELA, there was a 350% increase in the number of Fs. He also examined the total number of A's, B's, C's, and D's. And when you compare that total performance to those previous four years, it just craters this year. It's been very stable the prior four school years. You, you could basically go out in the street and grab any student. Now, obviously, you don't want to do that, actually grab them. But let's just say <laughs> you, in your mind, grab that student at random who's a CMS student on the street. You would have expected them to earn an ELA a 2.6. Well, what does that mean? That's about a C plus. Mm-hmm. Remember, a B is a three, a C is a two. two. So they would have earned a mid-level C, almost a C plus in any of the four prior school years first semester. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened this year? That tanked down to a 2.2. In other words, they almost they dropped into a C minus. Now, sure, you can find that student. You may the student you may randomly grab may have gotten an A, mm-hmm. but um, we're just talking about out at random. So it gives us a good uniform picture of what's happening across the county. Is that your average student, if you will, in other words, a student grabbed at random has seen their performance drop by a half a letter grade. That's substantial, right? In ELA, and it's similar in math. It's actually slightly worse in math. So, right. And this is for folks who want to compare to like a, the the GPAs in college. You know, the old joke was 2.0 and go. And, you know, that's all you needed <laughs> was to get the degree. Right. Uh, was a 2.0. And that's so a 2.1 is just barely able to get a degree. Essentially, you're barely getting by. You're just above D status. And Correct. Uh, and like you said, half of a half of a grade decline in a single semester as an average is again catastrophic so uh now that you have this data what do you do with it well the data tells a story to me so my job is really the same as an analyst for my day job or analyst just doing fun stuff fun air quotes (laughs) on the side (laughs) fun for you it's fun for you (laughs) yeah well it's yeah yeah it's it's, it, it may you know, make my inner nerd look good. And I enjoy getting the numbers, but when I see it, have a discovery like this, the next step is to, to get the word out. Mm -hmm. And it it always takes time. You know, I work for a major bank and if I have a a finding and something that's going on with the bank, and by the way, usually it's over stuff that is far less stark than this is, but it takes days, if not weeks to, make it the story easily understandable to the executive. Mm-hmm. And in this case, with the school data, the executives are the stakeholders. It's the other parents. It's the CMS leadership, the board of education, 
the CMS district reps. Frankly, it could be North Carolina House and North Carolina Senate reps, state representatives. Those are the stakeholders who need to see this and, and realize what story is really going on behind the scenes. You can't argue with it. I mean, this stuff is not, it's, it's very straightforward. It's just counting really is what it's doing with a little bit of exception of adding the GPA formula, but it isn't like predictive analytics where we're trying to forecast the number of virus hospitalizations that you may have saw on the new scene in right. the news early last year. That's predictive in nature. And there's often the, that kind of an, analyst has a certain, um, Analytics has a certain amount of error to it, but this is not, it's counting really. It's just descriptive. I'm just taking what CMS provided counting and say, Hey, look, do you realize there's been a huge spike in F's and a big decrease in performance just on the count of this? So do you think- What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Right. Well, so do you think they don't know that? (sighs) That's a good question. Really what you're asking me, have they looked at their own data? Yeah. That's what you're asking me. Yeah. And I don't, I can't answer that. I, um, cause I'm I've wondering had, why, why, why a parent would, cause you did not ask for this, you did not submit the FOIA, someone else did, right? And then, and then asked you to look at the FOIA data that they had gotten. So, um, right. So it, 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 it makes me wonder if parents are asking for this information, then does that indicate, that the information has not been widely distributed or, or discussed? Well, there's no question. It's not to this point in time been widely distributed, not by CMS. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly it's it, with me, I'm just one voice and I propagate it to the best of my ability. I post it on my Facebook page, or there's a couple of Facebook groups out there for people who would like to say, see an in-person option, you know, I'll post it there perhaps, or I'll, I'll email it to BOE stakeholders, but that's not, I would not call that widespread propagation, right. but that... no, I'm, it's not been widespread yet. And I think it needs to be to tell the story of the community. Is this, uh, is this an effort to get CMS to open schools to some degree that they, that they aren't already? What needs to be now, <laughs> that's the, the important question. I mean, if I see this, it doesn't matter who I am as an analyst. If I'm, let's say I went into this, you know, a month ago, thinking I just want schools to be completely open or completely closed. If I'm analyst, I see this, and I know the only major factor discriminating or differentiating the first semester of this year versus the first semester of the four prior school years, in this, or any of the four prior, any school year prior, it's been the loss of in-person instruction, then you've got to go. You've, you've got to, you have to get that message out and push that case, no matter what your position may have been prior to opening the file. Todd Fuller, uh, CMS parent and uh, analyst. Is there any um, anything else you'd like to add that you think is important or interesting to note here that we haven't already covered? Pete, you've done a great job covering all the bases and then some. I just would encourage you to get the word out because I think you hit a point earlier, five or ten minutes ago, that there are societal consequences for decrease a major decrease in performance and big spikes in Fs like we're seeing. I think you touched on some of those, not limited to increases in jail population, loss of learning, loss of career, 
loss of a livelihood, all those things. I just want to encourage you to do to help get that word out. Society depends on it at this point. Todd Fuller, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And by the way, if uh, the name Todd Fuller sounds familiar to you, well, he graduated from Charlotte Christian School back in 1992. He went on to play basketball at NC State, the nearly seven-foot center, then got drafted into the NBA, and he actually played for the Charlotte Hornets from 1999 through 2000. Now, here's another name that should be familiar to you, General Equipment Rental. If you are in the Weaverville area, if you're in Buncombe County, then this is the place you need to go, uh, and you've probably been, actually. They've been around for three generations, family-owned and operated. They have all of your equipment rental needs, power tools, you know, big and small, heavy equipment, smaller items, air tools, compressors, scaffolding, um, everything. All right. And so what this means is you can go and get something for the job that you need to get done. Just rent it for a day just until the project is done. And it's way cheaper than having to buy something because some of these power tools or, you know, especially the large pieces of equipment, they're really expensive. And unless you're going to be doing a lot of earth moving, (laughs) then I don't see the need to go out and buy an earth mover for like just to grade your yard or to fix your driveway, you know, one time, that's all you need it for. So go to General Equipment Rental, uh, go to their website, generalrents.com, and check out what they have and use them for your next big project and tell them that you heard it here on the Pete Callender Show, and I appreciate that. Uh, They've got the tool that you need. They're also going to show you how to use the tool. So, well, first off, you don't break their tool, but also so you, you know, so you have confidence going into the job that the tool is going to get the job done right, because it will, and you'll be done with it way sooner, and you'll finish the job way sooner, and it'll be a better-looking job when it's done. I have done jobs without the right tools, and I can always tell I can always tell where I messed up. And I'm like, man, if I only had that right tool, the big one. I, I did an entire house, 900-plus square foot house, crown molding, and I did not have the the miter saw miter box to do it correctly i wish i knew back then 20 years ago about general equipment rental of course i didn't live in the area so that probably would have been a bit of a commute to get the equipment but at any rate general equipment rental generalrents.com think outside your toolbox so um the new york times has now gotten around to looking at the catastrophic effects of keeping schools closed for as long as they have and i'm wondering at some point Do the people who have been screaming the loudest against reopening, do they ever have to be held accountable? Because I know we're all we're in this um, we're in this era of, you know, new accountability. I hear it all the time. Right. And people in the media and the Democrats. But I repeat myself there. They're demanding, you know, accountability and these mea culpas from, you know, the the Republicans over the insurrection and and whipping up the mobs and uh, spreading the big lie and all of that. So, okay, well, if if those are the demands being made of your political opponents, are you going to uh, take accountability and responsibility for pushing some of these other big lies, right? Now, I understand at the very beginning when nobody knew what the uh, what the coronavirus was doing and how it was transmitted and uh, the lethality, the mortality rates, all of that. I understand the beginning, but this is not the beginning anymore. We have learned a lot since then. Clark County, Nevada is the focus of a story called Surge of Student Suicides Pushes Las Vegas Schools to Reopen. And they shut down their schools, just like North Carolina did and most states did in March. They have remained closed. And by December, 
18 students had taken their own lives. That is two per month. 18 total students. That is more kids killed than in the Parkland, Florida, the Marjorie Stoneman uh, Douglas uh, school shooting. Columbine had 12. This is 18. The spate of student suicides in and around Las Vegas has pushed the Clark County District, the nation's fifth largest, towards bringing students back as quickly as possible. Students across the nation are weighing the benefit of, or sorry, superintendents across the nation are weighing the benefit of in-person education against the cost of public health. This is, it's against the cost. This is the complete misframing of this. It's not lives versus opening or lives versus money. It's lives versus lives. You're making determinations about long-term health impacts for different groups of people. And pinning it or framing it like this is just, it's super unhelpful. Okay, just, I'll, I'll be diplomatic here. It's not helpful. Anyway, they're watching teachers and staff become sick and in some cases die, but also seeing the psychological and academic toll that school closings are having on children nearly a year in. By the way, the uh, teachers and staff who, um, as far as I know, it's still the case that there have been no documented cases of student to uh, teacher transmission. It's just not happening. The teachers are getting it from either other teachers, other staff, but also out and about in their daily lives as well. The risk of student suicides has quietly stirred many district leaders, uh, leading some, like state superintendent, uh, the one in Arizona, to cite that fear in public pleas to help mitigate the virus's spread. In Clark County, it forced the superintendent's hand. Quote, when we started to see the uptick in children taking their lives, we knew it wasn't just the COVID numbers we need to look at anymore. Finally, it's not just the case counts. Jesus Jara, the Clark County superintendent, says these kids have got to start seeing some movement, some hope. Um, this I, I found was particularly egregious here. Over the summer... As president, as again, New York Times, over the summer, as President Donald Trump was trying to strong arm schools into reopening, Dr. Robert Redfield, then the CDC director, warned that a rise in adolescent suicides would be one of the, quote, substantial public health negative consequences of school closings. Mental health groups and researchers released reports and resources to help schools, which provide counseling and other intervention services to help the schools reach students virtually. Mental health advocacy groups warned that the student demographics at the most at risk for uh, mental health declines before the pandemic, like black children, LGBTQ students, that these were among the most marginalized by the school closures. Does any of this sound familiar? If you listen to the show, this all sounds familiar. We have been saying this now for six months. Obviously, the kids who are most vulnerable are going to be the most negatively impacted by these closures. Okay. Get this line, though, quote, but given the political, uh, sorry, given the politically charged atmosphere this summer, many of those warnings were dismissed as scare tactics. See, well, there's just no blame there. It's just this this voice from nowhere, right? This passive voice. Well, you know, given it was such a politically charged atmosphere, it was just, you know, it was the current environment. Nobody's really specifically individually to blame for uh, for spreading these uh, these lies that this is all just scare tactics. Because Trump, 
That's what this is about. Even in even at the beginning of the paragraph where they say over the summer, you know, Trump was trying to strong arm schools into reopening. They make him sound like the villain. But if the schools being closed is having this kind of negative impact on kids to the point where they're now committing suicide in in huge numbers, which was predicted, by the way, when Donald Trump and others were saying, hey, we need to reopen the schools. We need to figure out how to do this fast. You guys made society dependent on your K-12 government model. You don't get to walk away now and say, well, you know, I'm not sure we can really do this anymore. You better freaking figure it out because you made everybody dependent. You hooked everybody into this system. You made these promises that everything should run through you. You don't get to walk away now. It's the height of irresponsibility and cowardice. This is what, see, this is the libertarian prophecy. I have always said this, is that they make these promises that they're going to be there for you. They're going to do these things for you. Just give us some of your freedom. We'll give you security. It's a, It sounds like a great trade. I understand that. It sounds like a great trade. But at the end of the day, when the when the rubber hits the road, when you really need them to be there, they're not going to be there. This was, this was also borne out in uh, the government response to natural disasters, particularly Hurricane Katrina. There was this promise made, oh, don't worry, we can get there, we can do these things. No, they can't. No, they cannot. Do not buy the lie. That's the lie. But you see, that's the thing, though. Th- what I am saying now undermines the entire foundation of the government control of the education system. And hopefully parents realize this. Hopefully COVID-19 will prompt a mass exodus out of this K-12 model, and I so loathe the people who are forcing me to be the loudest advocate to reopen their GovCo model. I have, like my entire adult life, I have been critical of the K-12 government monopoly, and now I am saying open it back up, and I am, I so detest the people that have put me in this position. But I'm a realist. I recognize people have grown dependent on this government service. And uh, and so withholding the government service now is having catastrophic impacts on kids. And shame on you for making me be the one to tell you to care about those kids that you said for the last 20 years you cared more about than me because I wanted to give kids choice. I wanted to give their parents choice. And you said that means I don't care about kids. I want them to be stupid. Meanwhile, now we you know fast forward here to 2020 and 2021, and you're keeping schools closed, and you're seeing all this mounting evidence that this is really bad for the kids, and you're like, but I don't want to go. Well, then do something else. Do something else. This gets to this gets to a class thing too. By the way, there's embedded in all of this, and I recognize that I say this as someone who works from home. My wife does not. But I do. I'm able to do all of this from home. And I figure I'm doing my part by not going out, by not spreading it around. I'm trying to, you know, limit my activities outside of the house. And truth be told, yes, I I I I do have uh, an inclination towards hermitude. Uh, and so I, I'm OK. <laughs> I'm OK being home alone. I recognize that I am privileged to say this. OK, much like I am privileged to tell you about Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. Um, 
been there for 30 years. Tim at Old Grouches would love to see you. He's got first aid kits. So if you're a camper or a hiker or a hunter, uh, you, you're a prepper, you want to have a go bag, this is what you need. Every house needs it. Uh, every car needs an emergency kit in it with a first aid kit. So let Tim help you build that. He also has, by the way, Italian military Kevlar helmets. They just came in. Solid pieces of equipment at a great price. Uh, ammo cans, great for storage. Um, great for decoration as well. And also, yes, yes, great for ammo, gun accessories as well. And uh, all of your cold weather gear needs can be met at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. This class divide, it is real, and it is borne out in polling that I saw, where was this here, at the Morning Consult. Uh, yeah, here it is. A Divided America. It's got a ton of different uh, uh, data points in it, but here's the one I focused on. Uh, 77% of U.S. adults found 2020 was worse than 2019. Okay? 2020, worse than 2019, which makes sense. All right, so 77%. Now let's take a look at what is that? That uh, what? 28% that said it wasn't. 11% of the population said that 2020 was better than 2019. A figure roughly doubling among those with a postgraduate degree or those earning more than $100,000 a year. So, what does this mean? It means that people who have, you know, master's degrees and uh, PhDs, you call me Dr. Biden, all these people with the terminal degrees, these, uh, you know, the, these postgraduate degrees um, and making over 100,000, they're doing better. They're totally fine with the lockdown culture now. They're totally fine. You know why? Because they send off for all the stuff. Oh, please uh, bring me my food, bring me my uh, dinner and maybe deliver my supplies. And I can totally live alone like this. By the way, this is not something that is new to me or listeners of the show either, because we were talking about this when the first lockdowns were put in place. And then, like, we just need to flatten the curve. Just give us, you know, two weeks. Just give us a month. We're totally going to flatten the curve. And then they wouldn't lift the lockdowns. Right. And that's when we started, like, pointing out, hey, you realize you're sending these, quote, essential workers all over the place. So you're risking their lives while you stay at home. What's up with that, really? There's something else going on there, right? A lot of these people who are at that income level and this uh, degree level, they are the pro-lockdown people. By the way, there was another thing I thought was uh, of interest here that, uh, and I'll, I'll circle back to this later on in the week. Democratic trust in the election process has risen while Republican trust has plummeted. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> Whatever could be the reason for that, right? <laughs> uh, there's a piece here by David Bass at the Carolina uh, Journal. A new national study says that it appears safe to reopen schools for in-person instruction in counties with lower rates of COVID-19 hospitalizations. This is a very important distinction. Researchers, so this was a study conducted by the National Center for Research on Education, Access, and Choice. It is the first of its kind to analyze data from every U.S. county. As a gauge for safely reopening schools, researchers used a threshold of 36 to 44 new hospitalizations per 100,000 people per week. Okay, so if you're having a spike in hospitalizations per week per 100,000 people, then 
then you would close the schools, they say. But if you are having 36 to 44 new hospitalizations, that's the cutoff. If you've got lower than that, lower than that range, you probably can open. Under the study's rationale, some North Carolina counties like Wake, Union, Guilford, Brunswick, Davidson, Iredell, Pitt, Randolph, Rowan could safely reopen schools for in-person instruction. Um, Mecklenburg County is just over the threshold at 44.15 new COVID hospitalizations per 100,000 population. As of mid-December, 58% of all counties in the U.S. fell under this threshold. 58% of all the counties in America are under this threshold. So why are they using hospitalizations? Well, researchers used the hospitalization rate rather than confirmed cases because the metric of hospitalizations gets you much closer to the outcomes of greatest importance, which is what? Actual sickness, exactly. Whether someone is really sick. We have been talking about this for months, right? We have been saying that the PCR tests, they do these cycle uh, thresholds of over 37, which means the more you look, the deeper you look, the way more likely you're going to find remnants of this this COVID-19 uh, RNA sequence or whatever, this genetic material, it's going to trip a positive, but it doesn't tell you that you're sick. It doesn't tell you that you're infected. It just says it found some, some remnants in your system. And that doesn't mean you're contagious. And so hospitalizations, that does. Hospitalizations means you are very sick, right? You went to the hospital, you got admitted, you are there, and you need care because you are sick. Researchers are careful to note that their findings are not an endorsement of reopening or not reopening. The data simply provide needed context for such decisions. So why would they say that? Why, why feel the need to clarify that? Because they don't need the teachers union coming down on their heads. That's what this is about. That's what's going on here and has been from the beginning. You've got teachers unions around America, but also a mentality in various quarters that don't have unions. North Carolina has an association, which is part of the N uh, the NEA. Uh, so it is a union. I always call it the, you know, the NCAE is a, you know, don't call it a union, but it is a union. It operates as a union. It just doesn't have collective bargaining rights. And if it did have collective bargaining rights, I guarantee you they would be demanding no return to in-person instruction. Now, you have to ask yourself why that is. I don't know. I would imagine there are a lot of different reasons why. I think there are, uh, there are a lot of teachers who are very afraid of getting sick and dying. I understand that. I do. And if those teachers do not feel comfortable going back into the classroom, then I think then they should set up remote learning pods with them, with those teachers, right? They would be the ones that would teach the kids who also cannot come to school either due to fear or due to, you know, living in a house with comorbidities, people with uh, uh, health afflictions that make them more vulnerable, right? You could create these pods of, you know, in-person and remote and put people where they need to be. And I know this is thinking outside the box, but, uh, and I know GovCo School doesn't do that <laughs> very well. Uh, the K-12 model doesn't really allow for this kind of innovative thinking. But uh, if you've got teachers that don't want to go back, okay, I understand that. But what's the other thing? That can't be all of the reason why these teachers unions are pushing back on this stuff, are, are refusing to go back to in-person instruction. So what else is going on? And I am hesitant to even mention this, but I feel like I need to. Do you ever notice when you get into a debate with people about teacher pay, compensation, that sort of thing, that uh, they never really account for the summers off? 
But it's a very important aspect of the job for teachers. They, it is. It, it's very important. Having two months off every year. And if you think about it, a person who becomes a teacher, and I'm not being, this is not, I'm not trying to insult people or anything, but uh, they grow up going to K-12 schools, right? So they, they go through all their co- or their uh, K-12, they go to college, uh, and the whole time they always have summers off. The norm is summers off, right? Uh, and then they go into teaching, and the norm is summers off. So is there a certain expectation or a certain, um, I don't know, I'm trying not to assign motive to a lot of folks, okay? But I do believe that that to a person who is attracted to a job that has large chunks of time off every year, I think there might be some attractiveness to not being in-person instruction all this time. I do. I think that there are people that are more comfortable not going to work while getting paid. I do. I think that that is a big lure here for some people. I don't know how many. Good luck trying to figure it out because I don't think anybody's ever going to admit that. (laughs) But and I'm not. And again, I don't know how big of a percentage it is. I would like to believe it's not very big, but I have to believe there is a percentage. I don't understand why there is such this resistance to going back to teaching in person, particularly when we know about the long-term catastrophic effects that this has on kids. What you're doing is you're reducing their future earnings potential, increasing the chances they're going to be in poverty, and that leads to a lower lifespan. And so you're actually trading lives for lives. This is part of the debate, and nobody wants to talk about this, but I hope, I hope we're coming to a breaking point where people finally realize that this is, in fact, the discussion that has to be had. So we shall see. I appreciate you sticking around. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Remember, subscribe. It's the best way to help me out. Uh, subscribe to the podcast by going to thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, you can also become a patron by going there as well. And uh, thanks so much for the support. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 